by God's grace and for His glory. Live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is Woodmont Baptist Church. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Woodmont Baptist Church. Let's all stand and worship together.
Hunter, 
Welcome to Woodmont Baptist Church, all of you. We're so glad that you've chosen to gather here with us to worship the God who is indeed so great and holy, holy, holy. I'm Nathan Parker. I'm the pastor here. And as you see, we have a guest worship leader. We continue to change it up. We're going from having one of the worst voices ever to lead worship at Woodmont Baptist Church last week to one of the best voices ever to lead worship here. Uh, Hunter Leith is our simple worship leader, simple worship worship leader. And his folks are here, Rex and Sharon, and his wonderful wife, Lindy. Uh, they are newlyweds still, I guess, and uh, they live in Knoxville, Tennessee, but they've made the, the trek out here to uh, be with us today, and his folks are from Memphis, Tennessee, so it's good to have them with us as well as uh, you guys kind of meet in the middle of the state here. You've burned up I-40 a lot, I know, this, uh, this year, but we are blessed to have you. If you're visiting with us today for the first time and you want to give us a chance to get to know you and your family, if you'll fill out the little connection card in the pew rack in front of you and drop that in the offering plate so we can contact you, I promise we won't harass you. And uh, this time I want to recognize Trey Heyman, our minister to youth and college students, to tell us about some of the ministry opportunities that you have here at the life of Woodmont Baptist Church. Trey. Awesome. Well, thanks, Nathan. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to get to be in God's house together and get to worship together on a Sunday morning. I hope that we all just take a moment to recognize how special it is uh, that we gather before a God who is always been the same and always will be the same and that we get to gather together and worship him and have a relationship with him and one of the amazing things about our god is that he invites us into be in relationship with him and invites us to take steps with him to advance his kingdom into this world so we've got a couple of ministry opportunities for you that you can be a part of uh, the first one is a dominica mission trip that is july 7th through 14th i'm gonna ask calvin dunham and steve newton uh, to stand up uh, they're leading this trip and so if you are interested in going on this trip it's a construction trip uh, come and talk to either one of those guys and they'll be happy to give you more information thank you um, and then on may 5th a saturday morning we're having a day of missions at 8 30 a.m we will gather here and then we'll go out to various ministry sites and nonprofits across nashville to serve and make a difference in the in the kingdom uh, next there's an opportunity that you can have to uh, better the lives of youth uh, and to pour into their lives uh, through uh, financial support so we're going to camp uh, in June and camp is always a wonderful time where we get to see God move we get to see students come to know the Lord for the first time students who rededicate their lives to Christ students who feel the call to ministry um, but unfortunately a lot of our students can't afford to go to camp or on other youth trips so we're doing an envelope game fundraiser you can find envelopes uh, right outside here in the north entrance um, that have different monetary amounts and what we're asking is that you will take one of those envelopes and put uh, that amount of money in there and put it in my office uh, box on the front of my office. Uh, the next, I said we have a lot of announcements. Uh, Annie Armstrong report, um, we have over given for our Annie Armstrong offering. Uh, we were aiming to raise $10,000 for the Annie Armstrong missions offering and by the grace of God we have raised $12,000 uh, for that, which is amazing. <laughs> and that money goes directly to advance the kingdom of God um, here in the U.S. And then uh, next, um, also we have overgiven and underspent our budget. Um, and by the grace of God, that has been about a $60,000 um, overgiving towards our budget, which is pretty incredible. So there's a lot of things that God is doing really incredible uh, here. Um, and then last but certainly not least, our women have an awesome event coming up on April 28th, the Priscilla Shire Simulcast, which will be on April 
28th um, from 8.30 until 4.30. The cost is $15. If you need childcare, you can also register for that online, but you can find all that information at woodmontbaptist.com. Uh, let's uh, continue worshiping together. All right, at this time, if we can have our kids, age four through kindergarten, you can go to Praise Kids. And this song is going to be the song for uh, our offering, so if the ushers can come down at the end. Let's all stand and sing this together. Yeah. 
pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this precious time to worship you. You are so perfect in power and love and purity. And I pray for souls near and far to know you and know your name and know all the mercy and grace that you give us. May the offerings that we're about to receive allow your kingdom to grow and reach the far corners of the earth. In your name we pray. Amen. times where we get distracted by things that don't really matter when it's always all about him he's the only reason we're here he's the only reason we worship collectively like this so that's what this song's about it's called heart of worship when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply Just to bring something that's worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into 
heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I've made it when it's all about you it's all about you Thank you, Hunter. It's a great reminder that worship is all about God. We're not here for our own sakes today. This is not a service to us. This is a service to God. This is a worship service, and we are catering to Him, not to any one person other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Hunter. I love this town. I love how musical people are and talented in this town. Hunter's a songwriter, and, and he's uh, just a, a, a tremendous talent, but his heart is is what I love about him. Is he was he met Trey? I think you were his RA or something at Belmont. Is that right? No, y'all are friends at Belmont, same circles, and uh, now he's been leading simple worship for a couple of years now. So we're so blessed to have uh, his talents and his heart here with us, serving at Woodmont Baptist Church. Changing things up today, you see the, uh, the pulpit isn't here and the piano's out and I, I told someone uh, in the hallway it's, it's, it's going to look a little different today and they said, are we having contemporary worship again? And I said, oh yeah, real contemporary. The, the first song I think was written in like 1880 and then the next song was written in 1860 so uh, we've got some real contemporary stuff going on but you know, worship is not, not about those words contemporary or, or traditional, you know, we've, we've got to get past style, right? We've got to get to the heart of worship. 
not about what, what music looks like or sounds like or what you prefer. Richard did such a great job last week. What a wonderful word. He's a wise man who knows worship. And I was so blessed by his message last week that it's not about our preference. It's not about our pretense, pretending to bring something that we think God will like. But it's about God's presence and our presence together with him in this sacred place as the people of God. So we're going to continue to look at worship today, which is the primary purpose of the church. It's the foundational purpose of the five purposes of the church. The other four purposes are built on the purpose of worship. And Richard's right. If we get worship right, if we do that well, the other four purposes of the church will fall into place if we can do worship well. So we're going to look at one of the all-time great Bible passages about worship. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Many of you are already familiar with this famous text. I actually, this is the first time that I've preached on the same text twice. I preached on this text back in October as we were going through the, the Bible last year. And I'm sure you remember it well. I'm sure it was life-changing for you. And we focused then on the missional application of the text where Isaiah says, here am I, send me. But really the core of this text is not about mission, it's about worship that leads to mission. The worship of God is the fuel for the mission of God. It all goes back to the primary purpose of worship. So a little context here, Isaiah is this you know, incredible prophet who has this long ministry in the, the kingdom of, of Judah in about the 8th century B.C., the middle of the 8th century B.C. His, his ministry begins in 740. It's a turbulent time for God's people. You know, this, this kingdom that, that King David had secured and brought peace and, and prosperity to and, and secured the borders is now divided into two separate states. You have Israel in the north and you have Judah in the south. And the neighboring pagan kingdoms, Assyria and Babylon, are, are growing in their affluence and their power. And Israel looks ripe for the taking. It looks like the perfect opportunity for an expansion project of these other kingdoms. So the first five chapters of Isaiah lay out the scenario that is before the Israelites. The, the people of God are confronted with a decision Yes, they are the heirs of great promises, but they forfeited them through their rejection of God. Only judgment now lies before them. They are headed for judgment. So the question that is before them, that prophets like Isaiah put to them, is this. Will they trust in their own human ability to save themselves, or will they rely on the ancient covenantal promises of Yahweh, God. So stand with me if you're able to this morning as I read our text from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, 
and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. (coughs) We learn a lot about worship from this incredibly rich text. It really is about a worship experience that Isaiah has that ends up being his call to ministry. And it starts with the news that King Uzziah had died. King Uzziah had reigned over Judah for 52 years of generally peace and and security, but he didn't finish well. King Uzziah committed a grave sin near the end of his reign by entering into the holy place of the temple even though he was not a priest and was not allowed to be in there. And when he died, there was a sense of growing darkness in Israel and Judah, a sense that that God's people were in danger and heading towards judgment. So at the beginning of this foreboding time of transition and, and uncertainty, Isaiah has this vision of Almighty God. He says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. Well, we know from John chapter 1, verse 18, that No one has ever actually seen the Lord. John tells us clearly in verse 18, no one has seen God because God is beyond seeing. He can't be seen with human eyes. But sometimes in his grace and in his mercy, God condescends to someone and chooses to clothe himself with visibility, to reveal himself physically, visibly to someone. He appears here as the king of kings on the throne in his temple. He shows up to Isaiah in the midst of his household, which was built for worship. This is the temple where God's glory dwelt, where all the people of Israel would go up to worship, to be in God's presence, to give him Offerings and to sacrifice in praise and in worship. So Isaiah sees the Lord in his own dwelling place, his own house, and he's high and lifted up. He's exalted in absolute supremacy over all earthly things, all heavenly things. He is exalted. And the text says that the seraphim, these angels with six wings, were waiting on the Lord like servants would attend to a a great master. Seraphim literally means burning ones. 
And it must be that these special worship angels appear like fire all around Lord God on his throne, just like the fire that was in the bush that Moses saw, but yet it was not consumed. The fire that is a reminder that God is a consuming fire, that he is completely pure and holy, like a massive fire. And these fiery angels are singing. They're singing a song. They're constantly flying around the throne, pouring out praise to the God who is worthy to receive praise 24-7, non-stop. They sing the song that tells the whole truth about God. He is holy, holy, holy. And the whole earth is full of his glory. In the Hebrew language, if you want to make a word into a superlative, you know in English we put ER on the end of a word or something, you don't do that in Hebrew. If you want to make a word into a superlative, you repeat it. So when the the Bible talks about pure gold, it says gold, gold. It's like really gold. You know, you ever hear someone say that movie was like good, good, (laughs) or man, it was hot, hot, you know? That's kind of how Hebrew does with the superlatives. So here in Isaiah is the only place in the entire Hebrew Bible, the entire Old Testament, where a word is raised to the power of three. Holy, holy, holy. God's holiness is so far beyond what any human mind can conceive of that the only way to describe it is to make up a super superlative. It's like when my kids are arguing over, you know, what the, the best thing is. Oh, no, this is the best one. No, this is the bestest one. No, this is the bestestest one. This is the bestestestest one. God is the holiestest. It's true. The seraphim sing that God's holiness is all around us, that God's holiness is omnipresent, filling the world with his Glory. The glory of God is His omnipresent holiness. You know, the word for glory in Hebrew is kavod, and it has to do with weightiness. It's this idea that God's glory descends on the earth like a heavy blanket, just fills the earth with His glory, His omnipresent holiness as a thick blanket. And of course, when the the seraphim declare God's great holiness and his absolute otherness, his complete and utter holiness, that things start to shake. Things start to tremble because that's what things do in the presence of God's holiness. They shake. And suddenly Isaiah is excluded from the divine presence. It says that smoke started to fill the threshold that was the the access to the throne room of God. The the threshold is shaking, smoke is filling it. Isaiah is then keenly aware that he's wrecked. He's ruined. He says, woe is me, I'm lost. Some translations say, I'm ruined. I'm, I'm wrecked. The word here for lost is related to the idea of being silenced, like in the face of great grief. Like when someone dies and you just don't have any words. That's the idea here, is being ruined, being silenced, overcome. He's struck dumb 
not just because he's immortal in the presence of immortality, but because he's a sinful, flawed, broken man in the presence of a holy God. And it may not seem like a big deal that he's a man of unclean lips. You know, I drive Nashville traffic. I have unclean lips sometimes too. We all do. But now that his eyes are gazing upon the high and holy God of the universe, the combination of him seeing the Lord and his sinful lips is a fatal combination. He knows that his sin deserves the penalty that all of our sins deserve, death. He understands that he's a dead man, unable to cross the threshold into God's presence until one of the seraphim at God's command comes to him with a coal, a live coal from the altar. What's the altar? The altar is where the burnt offerings are sacrificed, where, where sins are atoned for, where there's a sacrifice on the altar and the angel takes the coal and touches his lips in an act that was surely painful but cleansing. The coal comes from that one place where sins were atoned for by the substitutionary death of another animal. The altar, the place where the Lord received acceptable worship. The altar is the only place where God's people can find atonement, propitiation, taking wrath and turning it to favor, satisfaction, forgiveness, cleansing, and reconciliation, becoming one again with what was lost. All these spiritual terms become reality for Isaiah in this very moment, and the seraph proclaims them to be true by saying, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Salvation is found at the altar. So now, Isaiah is close to the throne. At first, he saw God from kind of far off, high and lifted up, and was silenced by sin. But now, because of the seraph and the coal, he has been brought near to the throne. And now that his sin is removed, he can clearly hear the voice of the Lord saying, who will go for us? Isaiah is free to speak now. He's no longer struck dumb. He's no longer silenced by his sin and separated from God. So he speaks up in God's presence and he says, here am I, send me. It's an awesome passage. It really is a powerful one. But what does it tell us about worship? Well, this text teaches us about the necessary response to God's initiative in worship. You see, it's God who initiates everything here. It's God who moves, and then there's a necessary response required by Isaiah. So first, he reveals himself to Isaiah. That's God's initiative. He reveals himself to him. And then he excludes Isaiah from crossing the threshold with smoke and with shaking. And then he sends a seraph to cleanse his sins. God's always the initiator in worship. You know, the New Testament says it's not us that love God, it's God that loved us first, and now we love God back. 
God's the leader. He's the initiator. He moves first. And when God moves, there's a necessary response on our part in worship. So let me give you three key responses. These are kind of big words, but you're really intelligent. This is a, a Nashville uh, sophisticated group here, so I think you can, you can get this, okay? Let me give you three responses. First and foremost, revelation leads to appreciation. When God reveals himself, the necessary response is a greater appreciation of who God is. When he chooses to show himself to us, when he reveals himself in condescension to us, we learn to love and to worship him more and more. The more we begin to understand who God really is and what he's like and what his amazing attributes are, the more we want to bring all of ourselves to him in an offering of praise. There's a great worship song by Matt Redman called uh, Seeing and Singing. It's very, no one knows it. You probably never heard it, Hunter. It's, it's a very little known song that goes like this. This is a time for seeing and singing. This is a time for breathing you in and breathing out your praise. Our hearts respond to your revelation. All you are showing, all we have seen, demands a life of praise. No one can sing of things they have not seen. Unbelievers don't worship. Did you know that? Unbelievers can't worship. They've never seen God. We sing of what we've seen. No one can sing of things they have not seen. Lord, open our eyes towards a greater glimpse. The glory of you, the glory of you. Lord, open our eyes towards a greater glimpse. Worship starts with seeing you. Worship starts with seeing you. Our hearts respond to your revelation. Maybe we can sing it in simple worship sometime. It's a, it's a great song. Worship, loving God, giving him praise and adoration that's due to him. It's all the necessary response to revelation. That's the first and most important point, most important point in the sermon today, so I'm going to expand on it a little bit. When Isaiah sees the Lord, his eyes see him as the eternal king of glory. The beloved king Uzziah is dead, but the Lord God sits enthroned forever. Isaiah is reminded that the Lord God sits enthroned forever. He's not a human throne, a human king. In spite of the instability and the looming judgment and darkness that is coming for God's people, God is still on his throne. He's still the ruler yet, no matter what. So the proper response to a revelation of God is a fuller appreciation of who he is. God's not some earthly king who's prone to fear, prone to failure, moral failures. He's, he's the all-holy, all-powerful, all-good, triune God who made heaven and earth by his word. Appreciating God may not sound like such a big deal, but in the life of faith, it's huge. It's huge. It's the key to this whole worship deal. Proper worship as a necessary response is a major theme in the letter to the Romans. If you read through Romans, you see this theme all throughout it. Let me just show you a few examples. Paul starts out by arguing that the basic sin 
from which all other sins spring from is a failure to appreciate God as God. All of our sins come from that problem. Failing to appreciate God as God. Romans 1 verse 21 says, I think it'll be on the screen, although they, unrighteous men and women, they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile, worthless, useless in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Sinful people fail to honor God, to glorify the Creator, and to give Him thanks, it says here, for all the amazing things He's done for them. A few verses later, in verse 25, Paul says that these fallen people have misplaced their worship. He says in verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. You know, we all settle for false gods all the time and that's what leads us to sin. We believe the lies that Satan tells us about what's true, about what's right, about what's good, about what leads to flourishing. We say, oh yeah, that looks good, that'll be good for me. No, it's not, it's a lie. A little later in verse 28, Paul says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Isn't that a sad verse? God said, okay, have your way. Go ahead. It's like that Burger King commercial that Richard showed last week. Have it your way, or is that, is that Burger King? I think so, have it your way? Yeah, thank you. Have it your way? God says, fine, have it your way. It leads to pain, to suffering, to ultimately destruction and death. They refuse to acknowledge God. You know, so often I hear people say things like, oh, I sure have been lucky, or I really live a charmed life, or that was a real fortunate coincidence. I've said stuff like that before. Instead of realizing it was God who did all those good things the whole time, God who carried us every step of the way. We can't chalk stuff up like that to chance. We have to acknowledge God. It's a dangerous way to live, according to Romans 1, not acknowledging God. God says, fine, have it your way. When we see God and see his grace, we become more aligned with reality. It says they exchange the truth for a lie. You want to live by the truth, right? We want to walk by the truth instead of lies. That's why on the other side of the gospel, once people have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and have been justified by faith and reconciled to God, they give glory to God. When the Lord revealed himself to Abraham way back in Genesis and he told him about his plans to make a great family from him and to use that family to, to be a blessing to the whole creation, Abraham believed him. In Romans chapter four, in verse 20, Paul says, no unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. When you grow in your faith, you give glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham relied on the truth 
of the power of God to do what God said he would do. He quit relying on the worldly, feeble strength and believed God could do what he said he would do. And then the most important verse, I think, in Romans on worship is in chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, some translations say reasonable, to God, which is your spiritual worship. Giving ourselves holy to God as living sacrifices is acceptable worship. It's reasonable worship because it makes sense to respond to such lavish grace that God has shown us and redeeming us. It makes sense to respond with a total commitment of our whole selves to surrender all we are to God, to, to the one who's been so gracious so incredibly gracious to us. I had a professor in seminary who every morning when he got out of bed, he said he would take this cross necklace. He wore it under his clothes. We never saw it. He, he said he would take this cross necklace and put it on, and he would recite Romans 12.1. It was an act of surrendering, saying to God, God, I put this on, now I'm yours. From my head to my toes, all of this is yours, God. I lay it down on the altar. What do you want to do with this today? My mind, my heart, my time, my talent, my treasure, it's all yours, God. I'm a living sacrifice. Take it and use it. That is a lifestyle of worship. Appreciating God as God is our purpose as a church. It's what worship is. It's our primary purpose, right? Frank Thielman, a New Testament scholar, another one of my professors in seminary, he wrote an article on this, and he says, according to Romans, then, the most basic task of the church in every age is to call people away from the idolatry du jour. <laughs> Almost always a variation on comfort, pleasure, power, security. To call them away from the idolatry du jour and into the worship of the one true God. That worship is not a matter of coming to God with a sacrifice that we hope will win his favor. That's what Richard called pretense last week. It's rather handing our whole lives over to God as a grateful response to what he's done for us. He's created us. He's reconciled us to himself through Christ. And now he's given us the Holy Spirit to sustain us in life's hardships as God transforms us more and more into the human beings he created us to be. Isn't that good? Whew. Revelation leads to appreciation. Acknowledge God as God. That's point one. I'll go quickly through these next two, okay? Point two, exclusion leads to confession. Exclusion leads to confession. Isaiah found himself cut off from God, and, and the, he's outside the throne room because of the shaking and the smoke around the doorpost of the temple. Excuse me. He couldn't cross over into God's holy presence. So he cries out, I'm ruined. I'm broken. Woe is me. He's aware of the reality of his own sinfulness and fallen condition. He acutely in this moment feels his need to confess. He really knows how much he needs God's grace and God's forgiveness in order to access God. So the necessary response to God's awesome, 
overwhelming holiness is confession. And the word for confession in the Old Testament is really just to be honest. It really just means to acknowledge reality. To confess our sin is just to tell the truth. To acknowledge that we are indeed flawed, desperate, broken people that without God's grace won't last another minute. We're in need of redemption. Okay, so point one is revelation leads to appreciation. Number two, exclusion leads to confession. And finally, reconciliation leads to participation. God cleanses Isaiah by sending this supreme sacrifice on the altar. He sends the seraphim to bring the coal from the altar. And then Isaiah hears God's call and is able to respond, here am I, send me. That's the complete act of worship. Worship doesn't end when we dismiss from this place. Every time we walk out these doors on a Sunday morning, it's a commissioning. You are commissioned and sent out into the world as God's ambassadors, as God's ministers of reconciliation. We don't come here just to be filled up. We are filled up, but then we're sent out into the world. So the necessary response to encountering the holy, holy, holy God of worship is to raise our hand and say, God, I'm here, send me. Use me, take all of this to change the world for your kingdom. Sandy's prayer was so beautiful, concise, but poignant. Lord, advance your kingdom and use us to do it. So his call is going out constantly. And remember that God doesn't call the equipped. You may say, I'm, I'm really not going to be used by God because I don't have all those gifts or whatever. God equips the called, right? He's calling us to go, every one of us, to be his hands and feet in a world that desperately needs him. Next month we'll be talking about evangelism. Yikes. <laughs> It's gonna be awesome because God equips the call. He gives us what we need to go and be his hands and feet. So having confessed our sins and, and been reconciled to God, we're now free to get off the sidelines, to get into the game, to be a part of what God's doing in Nashville and beyond. So will you respond today? Will you bring the necessary response of appreciation, acknowledging that God is God and that we are not, that God is on the throne eternally, that we are not, we are desperately in need. Will you also respond to, to maybe being outside of God's will today by confessing your own brokenness, confessing honestly and openly your flawed condition? Will you allow God's grace and forgiveness to come once again flooding into your life to atone for your sins? And finally, will you be a part of God's plan for the cosmos? Will you get off the sidelines? Will you allow him to use you in his good redemptive purposes for this fallen world? Appreciation, confession, participation. These are the necessary responses that God is seeking from each of us today as we worship Him. Let's pray.
Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us a picture of what it looks like to respond to you in worship. We thank you for the glimpses that you have shown to each of us of who you are, of your ways. Help us to appreciate you more and more. To just catch a greater glimpse of your goodness, of your mercy, of your grace, of your might and your power. May we respond in worship, in complete adoration and awe. And God, we confess today that we have been outside of your will. We have sinned against you by the things that we have done, the things that we have left undone. We acknowledge our own brokenness as we acknowledge your own holiness. And God, we ask you to use us. We raise our hand and we volunteer today saying, here am I, send me. God, we know we don't have all the gifts that we need in order to to be your hands and feet, but we trust that you will equip us as needed. You'll give us what we need to be used by you as we leave this place. Help us to have an urgency about our lives, lives that consider these responses as necessary. May you commission us as we leave this place today. We love you. We pray these things in the high and the holy name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing a a song, I surrender all. I lay all of me down at the altar. I invite you, if you've never surrendered everything to Christ for the first time, to do that today. Come and talk to me about it down here. I'll be down front right now during this song and say, I want to surrender everything to Christ. I want to follow him in baptism, in believer's baptism. I want to be plunged underneath the water and die to my old self and be raised into a whole new kind of life. Maybe you need a church family. You've been doing this whole Christian life thing on your own, and now you're ready to be a part of the team. We're not a perfect family of faith. If, if you're perfect, I'm sorry. Uh, this is probably not the place for you, but if, if you are flawed and you are broken, you can come and join us here and be a part of this family of faith as we seek to be the kind of church that God wants us to be and made us to be. And if whatever decision that it is that you need to make today, if you want to commit your life to, to missions, to ministry, whatever it is, I'll be down here to receive you as we sing, I Surrender All. Let's sing it from our hearts. Let's stand. All to Jesus I surrender All to Him I
on Tuesday. Um, I hope you've been blessed by being in God's house and with God's people today, that you are ready to surrender anew to Christ and to go forth and change the world. Let me say a, a benediction over you if, you if you'll receive it, and then we'll sing our closing songs. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's join hands across the aisles. We're going to close with the doxology. Like <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings This has been the live broadcast of Woodmont Baptist Church. If you would like to know more about the people and programs at Woodmont, or if you would like to stream both live and pre-recorded services, go to woodmontbaptist.com or call us at 615-297-5303. This program is funded by the members and supporters of Woodmont Baptist Church and is produced by Woodmont Baptist Television. Thanks for watching.